traveling through another dimension. Another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. But of mind. A journey into a wondrous land. land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Tonight on the Twilight Zone podcast, we are over the hump of season two of the Twilight Zone. We're on the home stretch now. Only two podcast episodes to go before uh, we are finished with our coverage. But my guest tonight is no stranger to reviewing modern Twilight Zone or a bit more modern Twilight Zone because over on Patreon, uh, she joins me in the After Hours Club where we talk about the 80s Twilight Zone and it's great to get her on this podcast, the Twilight Zone podcast. Emmy, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and I'm really looking forward to chatting about these shows and discussing something that's, you know, happened in the last 30 years. (laughs) It's going to be quite the novelty. Um, So yeah, having something contemporary to look forward to is, is, is really exciting. So when you're looking at an episode of the 80s Twilight Zone, how easy is it for you now to kind of divorce yourself from the original show? Because I think that's the difficulty that all of us have at some point in in accepting another iteration of the Twilight Zone. How are you with that these days? It's fine. I mean, it's I completely, I take every episode as it comes. I look at each one individually. There's definitely going to be times where, you know, you're looking for a theme that, you know, plays mm-hmm. through it. You know, certain things that, you know, run really well in Twilight Zone episodes. But ultimately, I really try hard to not come into it with any preconceptions just to enjoy the episode for what it is Uh to really look for positive things you know but also like you say reflections to the original series as well so with that in mind then how has your i mean obviously we now at this point there's quite quite a few episodes behind us in season one or two how was your experience with season one and how's it been so far with season two so i really i did enjoy season one um Mm -hmm. I definitely felt there was a couple of episodes that fell flat for me personally. I didn't really enjoy them. Yeah. But ultimately, I thought there were more good episodes than, you know, less good episodes. Mm-hmm. It had some really sort of standout episodes for me, episodes I really enjoyed. Um, you know, and, and I think that's the case with any TV show just now. We put this on such a pedestal, you know, uh-huh. that we expect every single thing to come out of it to be absolutely perfect. And it's it's just not the case. It wasn't the case with the original Twilight Zone either, really, the original series. Yeah. But no, I mean, I, I enjoyed the first series. I still think it was better than a bunch of rubbish that we watch on television nowadays. It still was really well done. You uh-huh. know, you definitely can't argue the acting wasn't strong. The writing for most episodes was pretty strong too. I've really enjoyed the way it's evolved into season two though. Um, okay probably would say I've enjoyed season two more than the first one. I've I've found something in at least one thing in each episode that I've really enjoyed. I watched yeah. the first few and I wanted to, you know, binge the whole thing through. I wanted to watch the whole of the second season in one go, which definitely wasn't something I really felt with the first season. Right. Um, but I kind of thought that the first two of this season were really strong mm-hmm. and it kind of set me up nicely. And I think that that was something I felt was less strong from the first season. You know, the very first episode, The Comedian, wasn't one of my favourites. And then obviously when it was it was followed by Nightmare at, thir- Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. I can never remember how many feet. <laughs> um, and because they both weren't 
totally, you know, top tier for me. Yeah. It does this psychological thing, doesn't it? Where you think, oh God, you know, am I going to enjoy the rest of them? And it puts you on this weird, you know, you feel a bit tense about the season. Whereas I completely didn't feel that this season. You know, the first two episodes were, were phenomenal. I think they've absolutely taken on board the feedback they got from the first season. And I think that shows in spades. Uh-huh. You know, some of the comments that they had about the politics and the, the so, comments on society being too on the nose. Yeah. Definitely seem that they've taken that on board and that they've not toned it down because the messages are still there. I think they've just not made it quite so on the surface. You know, yes. you really have to look at them. You've got to think about them. They've benefit every single one of these has benefited from a second watch uh-huh. where you kind of know a bit more about what the message is by the end and the running time as well. I think the fact that they've tried not to necessarily stick to the hour long running time this season mm. has really benefited it because, you know, a story should be told in the best way to tell a story. And, you know, this whole thing of, you know, when it's on broadcast TV, I don't know what, you know, versus streaming is. Well, it has to be 42 minutes long and it has to have, you know, scene breaks at these points so that we can put adverts in. And yeah, I mean, that must be really hard to tell a story under those exacting constrictions. And I think the fact that they've kind of freed themselves from it in season two has really benefited them yeah. because it's you can see the sort of more concise storytelling. Um, you know, the, the build up to the action happens a lot sooner because in some cases they've chosen to do it in 30 minutes rather than an hour. Uh-huh. So yeah, no, I, I I definitely think it's it's got better this season and it's got a lot more top tier episodes this year than it did last year, I would say. Oh, good. Oh, good. I'm glad. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. I mean, one thing you said there kind of stuck out for me uh, is that, you know, if you come across an episode that you're not too hot on, I think there is a tendency uh, sometimes with, with people and, you know, me included, you think, oh my God, the season, it's all gone to hell it's over you know? <laughs> but it but it's just not the case is it i think we're just coming to it with so like you said so much expectation examining so much about it and i realize i'm po- completely part of that so i'm not i'm not saying that we shouldn't do that but you're right it's, it's like you know sometimes give it that second watch let it settle down a bit even, you know, the episodes where I felt the stories weren't very strong. I think probably the one I tend to think of when I'm when I'm thinking about this is eight, the episode mm. eight. I wasn't keen on the story necessarily, didn't feel it was terribly Twilight Zone-esque, but it was really good TV and it uh-huh. was beautiful, you know, and the acting was was really, really strong. So if someday, you know, one of the things we do on um the After Hours Club when we're reviewing the 80s show is we say you know is it a good episode in its own right is it a good twilight zone episode yeah that was just you know a per it's a very good episode of television you know really strong in a number of ways but is it good twilight zone no not necessarily in my opinion um so i you know there, there was something to love about every episode because even though i did feel that uh-huh. there you know the atmosphere the aesthetic of that episode was incredible mm. you know the cgi was really done well done so that's one of the big things, the big standout things to me this season is that there's been at least one big thing in each episode that I've enjoyed watching, even yeah. if I felt that the story wasn't as strong. Just to explain to anyone uh, what Emmy's talking about there, over in the After Hours Club, when we, we look at an 80s Twilight Zone, 
I always ask the same two questions at the end. Is it good in its own right? And is it good Twilight Zone? Because I think I've always said you can have the best science fiction story in the world, but it doesn't mean it's a good Twilight Zone because uh, the Twilight Zone has certain a certain feeling about it. So often we will say, yeah, I like that story, but it just didn't feel like Twilight Zone to me. And And you're right, you know, 8 is one of those. It was a great sort of little horror show, but... It just didn't have that Twilight Zone feel to it, which was, which was a shame. So alternatively, I think Ovation was kind mm. of the other way. It felt very Twilight Zone in its message, but for me, it was one of the slower kind of ones of the season. It was one of the ones I enjoyed less. So I mean, it can definitely go both ways. I do think I've sabotaged myself a little bit as well by just binging them, because the thing is, you go onto the CBS app. And I'm not even watching them on the telly because over here in England, we, we don't have the CBS app. I've got to sit in front of my computer and watch them, which is a shame because it's this gorgeous looking show. I would rather be watching it on the telly than on my computer monitor. But when you come to it brand new, it's like you're clicking on the episode you're about to watch and one eye is already on the next one, seeing what that mm-hmm. looks like. What's the title of that? It's probably not the best way to do it. And I think... Hopefully there's a next year, if there is a next year and they put them all out like this again. I don't know. I'm saying now that I'll try and space them out a bit more, but I know I probably won't. It's it's impossible to do, especially in the situation you're in, where, mm. you know, I, mean, I would imagine you follow stuff on social media too. And I, I binged them. I wish I could say I was a patient person mm-hmm. and I would like to watch one a week. I'm not. Um, in fact, I was quite proud of myself that what I did do was I didn't actually read any of the synopses of the okay. episodes. All I knew was what the episode title was. That was uh-huh. literally all I knew about it going in. There was a couple of things towards the end of the season, which I know you've not covered yet, you know, that were spoiled for me mm. by CBS. Um, so there were definitely some things I knew about, but, you know, like these ones going into them tonight, you know, I'd seen previews, I'd seen promotions and things of them, but I had no idea which, what promotion fitted into which episode. Yeah. So I went into these completely blind. Um, and I would do that again, I would say. Um, it was really interesting to watch them and literally, apart from the title, have no concept of, you know. Because some of them are totally vague, you know, among the untrodden, eight, you, you wouldn't get anything from the, the synopsis for those. Uh-huh. And it was a really interesting theory because normally I'm the kind of person that does a lot of research before I watch something. Mm. Um, but not this time. It was good fun. Well, should we get on to it then? Mm-hmm. Let's go. Well, our first story is called A Human Face and it's written by Alex Rubens. And I think he'd done at least two last season. Um, and it's directed by Christina Cho. and. The first thing I noticed is this. Did you see the shot at the beginning where it's, it starts in space and then it goes right down and into the open door of their house in just mm-hmm. one long shot? And I thought, good start, good start. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that was that was a good way into it. And it kind of definitely piqued my curiosity there. I've said in the this coverage of this new show that I... I try and distance myself from the original show just enough. I, I'm pretty happy that this show needs to try and nudge things its own way sometimes do things a little bit differently but I think what I like about this one is in the original show we had episodes like a game of pool where you've just got two great actors talking for most of it 
And I think this harkens back to that. So I was really happy that we got a bit of a um, a bit of a throwback in that way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And it definitely did resonate with me as well that there was there was only the three actors, you know, apart from Jordan Peele, there was the three actors in this. It did mean that sometimes it got a little bit wordy, mm. you know, um, and that was kind of one of my things later on was that it suddenly became a bit monologue-y. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it just absolutely shows you what they're capable of doing when you've got three, three really strong actors, strong writing, uh-huh. you know. I would like to say they didn't spend a lot of money on, you know, a lot of budget on things, but obviously there was a lot of CGI in it. But in terms of the sets and things like that, I think I'd read that the set was a bit reused as well. So mm. it did, you're right. It absolutely kind of harked back to some of those episodes where they focused on the characters and the story they were telling rather than all the fantastical stuff that comes around it. When I first watched it, what you said just there, uh, it was a bit wordy. That was my initial thoughts as well but we'll come back to that i've got something that uh, i want to kind of touch upon with that but our characters here they're in this house they are about to it looks like move house with uh dingle moving the (laughs) the moving company (laughs) and I, i i like stuff like that because it's almost as if like mr dingle then went out and started started the moving company now he wasn't strong at the end of that episode but maybe he just felt I don't know inspired by yeah, what they happened gave himself to him. faith I think that that's a good thing <laughs> yeah so it, I like stuff like that where certain things have kind it's as if yes they happened and and they've now had this effect on the on the future world in these little ways like the Whipple brand the Busy Bee Cafe and all that stuff so that's cool I think there's another one later on which I'll if I remember I'll, I'll mention it but they're going to move. They're going to move house. Unfortunately, they've had a, a tragic incident where um, their daughter has died. I got the impression that she took her own life. So a terrible situation to be in, an awful situation. And I can understand why they would probably want to move house and have a fresh start and, and that kind of thing. Um, but they go downstairs and they see this, this creature in their basement chewing on the table. Now, in conversations we've had, I think you had maybe a bit of a gripe about what happens next here. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, I watch a lot of horror and my question when this kind of thing happens is why would you not just run out the front door? You know, I mean, I I did. I thought about it more today, actually, and why they didn't necessarily do that. But I mean, yeah, my first instinct when I was watching this was like, I'd be out of there. You know, I, you know, you come down, there's something in the basement, this weird looking thing gnawing on a table. Uh-huh. I'd be gone. Um, but the more I kind of thought about it today, I wondered whether Barbara, Jenna Elfman's character, didn't initially see it as this weird kind of alien thing. You know, f- okay. from very early on, she kind of seemed to see it as their daughter. And I, and I did, it made me wonder whether, you know, when we see that initial shot of it eating the table, that was potentially from her husband's point of view and that she maybe saw something different and that was why she wasn't so desperate to escape. I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it. You're not, and you are right, but it, it's actually there in the episode, but maybe it's just too quick or too obscure to actually see it because when they walk in and the creature... Uh, turns to look at them which looks like a tartigrade uh, which would make sense with the way it gets into their house 
Um, and I only know that from Star Trek Discovery, so I'm not like some big clever clogs. But um, um, Those are big words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it looks at them, and when she looks at it, it's as if their eyes connect and something imprints on the creature because you just see a moment of the daughter's face sort of shimmering over the creature's face. Mm-hmm. So if if you didn't catch it, I could understand why that would be a bit like, why didn't you just get out of there, you know? But I also think the episode does, a because the husband says, get to the bedroom. So maybe they've mm-hmm. just got a kind of panic room mentality, just lock ourselves in a room. Um, and he's talking about phoning the police and so on. And that's why she is so, no, it's it's our daughter. It's something to do with our daughter. And they they do actually sort of address it in the episode. So I'm actually okay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that'll sit better with you when you catch that on a second watch. Yeah, I mean, it. I did, I kind of mulled it over again today. And, and while I don't remember that exact moment and, and the words and things, that is kind of thinking about the episode as a whole. And, you know, mm-hmm. what happened subsequently and how it explains that it's, you know, got her memories and things. It did make me think that's that's got to have been what it was. And even if there was one tiny glimmer of your daughter in that, you know, you wouldn't want to necessarily go away. You know, mm-hmm. so I get that. That makes it makes a lot more sense. And it is definitely something I'll look for next time I watch. The way I kind of think it to myself is you, you're right. If you saw the face of a loved one in that creature, you would think, Yes, this is super unusual, but we're in unusual territory now. Mm-hmm. And if somehow they didn't die and they are back because there's rules of the universe that I just don't know about, and for some reason they're back here, I would want to find out what, what's going on. You know, so so I, I was cool with it, but I, I can understand that, that point of view, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it definitely kind of, um, not going to get into it just yet, but it kind of is a reflection of the whole episode of what would you be willing to put up with, you Mm. know, to make that happen. And yeah, I mean, even if there was the tiniest possibility of something being there, you would, you would stick around, you know, as as a parent, absolutely. Well, you definitely would. Uh uh Also, as they run up the stairs, they run past and then the camera pans back and they're sitting on the bed as Jordan Peele. Now, this kind of harkens back a little bit to, I mean, not completely, but one of my favorite Rod Sailing intros is um, Little Girl Lost, where I think they're searching underneath the bed or something, and then you just see Rod Sailing's feet walk in, and then the camera pans up. I absolutely love that one. So, it, again, interactivity, I love it. Uh, Jordan Peele sitting on the bed as the camera pans back and the uh, good opening narration. What what do you think, Emmy? Yeah, no, I agree. And I love the kind of totally nonchalant look on his face as well. I mean, obviously it always is, but, you know, com- compared to what had just happened and the screaming and the running and things like that, it worked really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. I'm, I'm the same. I really enjoy it when he's completely in the scene and like you those were my favorite rod serling introductions as well was when he was completely in there and there wasn't this kind of flick back and forward and you could tell it was done in post you know these things where they were absolutely there on the set and they were doing it all in one shot it -hmm. makes a big difference it is really noticeable um and the, the opening narration itself was was very very good you know the it doesn't matter what's inside as long as it arrives in the right package 
yeah. a very good glimpse into what the episode was going to be about. So I think in a three-character piece like this, it's important that you've got good actors, good characters. So what, what do you think of our characters in this episode, Emmy? I think what was quite interesting about this is certainly when I first watched it, it seemed to me as though the character you're supposed to be relate to was his, you know, was Robert's mm. character, the husband. He's the one that's being sensible. You know, most people I think would probably like to think that in that situation, they would also be sensible and very logical about it all. Yeah. But also, particularly as the episode goes on, he's not terribly likable. You know, mm. he's, he's not a likable guy. He's clearly quite in control of his wife, whether, you know, it's, it sounds like there's a little bit of emotional manipulation going on there. You know, she, he's in charge of things. You know, he's completely in charge of the phone to the point where she doesn't even know it runs through the internet. He's, yeah. you know, doing up these, these um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's breaking up the bed, you know, to take it. And she doesn't even know he's going to do this. And what she she says about the daughter being was it scattered, and he's like yeah. no, and she just immediately changes her mind. You know, she's just like oh no, you're right, of course. And right. that was very, you know, in that very short period, it gave you a really big picture about what their relationship was like and what kind of people they were they were like just in that short conversation. So, I think that this is probably one of those episodes where you you probably strongly relate to one or other of the characters you know you you maybe as a mother you'd maybe see from her point of view and you would think i would do anything mm-hmm. but at the same time yeah i mean there's they're very con, very conflicting very different mm-hmm. personalities and and his was quite unlikable even before the relationship was described by the daughter like even before she said well you know you were kind of abusive to her and you were horrible to her and you spoke horrible to her even before all that it was very clear what the relationship where the relationship stood and who was in charge i thought Uh and whether that's primarily because she was a very susceptible person or i don't know i mean when i first watched it before i'd seen where it went towards the end i assumed it was just because she was grieving and she was all right. she was like a broken person and she was just willing to do she was looking to be led because she didn't have the energy to do anything herself so it was interesting to see that change and that the um the daughter come later and say well no it'd always been that way you know you've always been in charge and you've always spoken to her badly um, yeah so what did you think was that kind of what you were thinking it probably passed me by on a first watch that they're just in a strange situation and they're sort of you know back and forth but once you kind of know what it's about, communication is is what the episode's about for me. There's just so many little clues, which I think the writer does a really good job of, of sewing into the story. Now, that talky bit later on, we'll, we'll get to that. But mm-hmm. I think it's nicely layered throughout the episode, what these people are about, the difficulties they're having, their flaws, certainly. So, yeah, I, I think... They've done, they done really great work here. I also like, one of my favourite scenes in it is when they are both, I think they're in the bathroom by this point, and the creature has now actually taken on the form of their daughter. It's come up through the floor, but it's actually outside the bathroom door now. And I've, I've seen comments online and stuff that it can get through a floor, but it can't get through a bathroom door. I think at this point, it's starting its... It's sort of gambit, isn't it? 
It's mm-hmm. starting to try and do what it it needs to do. It could get through that door, no problem, but it needs for them to trust it and uh, want to care for it. So that's why it's taking this tactic now. Um, so I'm completely fine with that as well. But I thought that was a really great tense scene in the bathroom. Yeah, I agree. And I think that one of the things that I found really interesting about the episode was it wasn't about them discovering what she was. That wasn't at all the point of the episode. And there have been, it would have been really easy to do that, you know, to spend the entire 40 minutes or whatever it was discovering what was going on. But right Uh from the get-go, right from the beginning, he's saying, we're being conned. You know, this isn't real. This is, you're being manipulated. Uh Um, And is and yeah that kind of is what made it tense as well because she's nodding along and she's saying yeah 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 i know and so as a as a as a viewer you're kind of watching that going right well you know you know be sensible and and remove yourself (laughs) from it but of course you wouldn't you know and i i get that as well but it was it was very interesting that they established very early on he knew the score you know he knew exactly what it was trying to do and that was absolutely like you said that's why she stayed outside the bathroom door was because this thing had learned the best way to actually achieve its directive at that point mm-hmm. before it changed was to was to earn their trust you know to convince her especially i would imagine that at this point it was already getting the sense he was beyond convincing you know i mm. don't know what kind of timelines it's was this processing of this thing was going on but it definitely seemed like she was the more susceptible of the two definitely. and t- to earn their trust it's, it was going to have to stay outside the door and it was going to have to, I mean, what's more manipulative? I mean, they, it could have bashed down the door, but at the same time, their dead daughter standing outside the bathroom door shouting for her mum. I mean, that's yeah. that's breaking, isn't it? Um, it is. And very clever. I mean, just really, I thought that was quite emotionally harrowing to watch that because it was, it was a very, very difficult thing to watch. And Jenna Elfman's performance where she was torn between this thing outside the bathroom that she pretty much knows isn't her daughter and her uh-huh. husband who's telling her outright but still hearing her daughter's voice and you know she says yeah. she says that at one point she says isn't it nice to hear her voice again like it's she knows it's a new she knows it's a something you know uh-huh. but the sound of her voice is enough to just keep her there but creepy as well in its own way because the creature is getting itself together we hear that it's sort of still processing things you know it Mm -hmm. hasn't fully formed yet so it'll repeat things sometimes or say the wrong thing and you know can we get pizza and then the next minute it's on to to something else and it was quite creepy as well in its own way but i'm a big fan of like old-fashioned radio you know uh, 50s radio from the us i think they put out some amazing stuff Pulp magazines as well, you know, old sci-fi pulp magazines from the US. It's all good stuff. And this kind of story is quite, I'm not going to say this type of story is quite common. I am I mean, sort of the conceit of aliens taking on an aspect of someone you love, it kind of crops up from time to time. Like Death Ship on the original Twilight Zone has aspects of that. The captain thinks that's what's going on at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Ray Bradbury story, Mars is Heaven, has an aspect of that where, you know, they land on Mars and it's filled with all the people who have died that they know. And so, like, the the Earth people are easy to conquer because 
they're just like, oh, it's my dad or it's, you know, Uncle Jim or whatever. So if you're going to play with that, it's always good to have a character in there who recognizes the con because then the audience isn't sitting there going, I've seen this all before. If they associate with Robert, the dad, a bit and have a logical kind of mind, you sit there and you go, yeah, absolutely. But if no one's really getting onto it, you think, well, I've kind of seen this before. So I like that they're playing with such a well-used uh, science fiction trope and, and giving it a different spin, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, turning it on, I was really pleasantly surprised when they kind of figured out the twist as it was themselves very early on in the episode. And that does kind of, it kind of relieves, it gives you a bit of relief as a watcher, as a viewer as well, because you can kind of think, right, well, I don't have to figure this out now. Because you kind of you get an idea of where it's going to go, whether or not that is the true twist or not. Um uh-huh. And, and yeah, I mean, how many times have you watched something? I mean, I've said I watched a lot of horror. You know, how many times do you watch something like that? And you're like, all the characters in this are ridiculous. I'd have this figured out in five minutes, <laughs> you know. And so to put that in there and to make it so blatant was really mm. interesting. And again, wasn't, a, not to me, a particularly likable character. Um, his, he was very controlling from the get-go. Mm. But at the same time, you do sympathize with him and you do relate to him because... Yeah, he's he's the one that's he's telling the truth and he's 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 being realistic about it all. So the creature in the disguise of Maggie, the daughter, there's one point where it goes to her memory box and just kind of starts to absorb everything, you know, all of her memories, all of her um the things she loved and so on. And there's a little clown in there. Did you notice the clown in the box? I didn't notice the clown, no. I mean I uh, have since I've subsequently read about it. I noticed the other yeah. the other thing that was in the uh the bedroom what was that i might have missed that there was an invader from the invaders oh yeah 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 that was in there as well but i i mean i did notice the clown but i guess i was just like well it's a clown doll and <laughs> didn't really think much of it i'm terrible yeah. at spotting easter eggs like unless it is literally like the busy bee diner on a big sign i'm, I'm rubbish uh-huh. at it so well so am i but i think i i wasn't too bad on this one there's a couple of things i noticed and in the next one as well so maybe i'm getting better yeah. um <laughs> But so she she's absorbing all these memories and so on, making herself more whole, more like the daughter. So is there anything you want to mention before we get to the the kind of that big talky scene that we talked about? The only thing I would kind of say is they spend a lot of the time blaming each other. I think that's before mm. this scene happens, you know, where it's one of these things where suddenly the grief has kind of gone away from her and she's suddenly able to stand up to him and say, well, I might have fawned over her, but you were, you know, you never listened, you know, you never listened. Um, Uh And that was, you could, you could tell that from his character that he absolutely was the sort of guy that just didn't listen. Um, So I think that's probably the, you know, that was the only other interesting kind of thing about their relationship. Again, I I didn't realize how much it all fed into this final scene now when i first watched it i saw the end we'll talk about the end the um the creature is it's a drone i can't remember the exact name of it some like pacification drone or something like that mm-hmm. biological pacification drone there you go four marks <laughs> <laughs> um and it turns off its thing because it you know it discovers love and so on and i thought great you know love conquers the aliens fabulous the end and and i think it was 
probably like third in a line of episodes that I'd watched that night or something. So I never really got on to how important this, this scene is, the, the talky scene. I did think it was too talky at the time. I don't feel that now because the way I look at it now is that it's all about communication, the episode for me, because at the beginning of a relationship, you do nothing but let each other know how you feel. You know, it's mm -hmm. like love letters, phone calls, text messages, mixtapes, if they still do that. <laughs> um, you know, it is it is all about communication. You can't help yourself, and, and it just sort of spills out. But as time goes on, if you're lucky or you, you work hard enough, hopefully you can keep some of that going through your relationship. But as time goes on, as we see here, often people just become more closed off and the com the communication even within a family who outwardly don't seem to have any problems and probably get along with life okay the communication completely disappears and and i think that's what's happened here and what i love about the episode now is that through this experience they investigated who their daughter was now when this alien is here more than they did when she was actually alive and she was struggling. And and I think that's families all over sometimes, you know, and that's really the core of the episode for me because some of the lines, when you kind of realize this, take on such, such power to them. Like when the mum says to her, what are you? And she says, I don't know, mum, you tell me, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when the drone says that she engaged them uh, she engaged with their honesty. Sorry, she engaged them with honesty. She was just honest to them from the daughter's point of view. That's what they responded to. But it's also the thing that made the drone love them back. And at one point, the mum says to the drone, speaking to it as the drone, all you need to be is what you are, and I love you. And that's something that she should have said to her daughter when she was struggling, you know. Mm -hmm teenage years are a, a tough time and and maybe the daughter needed to hear that so so I was a bit like oh this is too wordy in the beginning but I think now I feel that's the point of it that through this experience the communication that they should have had when the daughter was alive they now haven't yeah no I agree and I think that I do, when I first watched it, my my criticism of this scene was, like you say, it was, it, was, it was very much a monologue almost. I kind of thought, well, this isn't subscribing to the whole show don't tell theory of storytelling. Mm -hmm. You know, they could have shown all these things. But yeah, it's almost like that moment when you finally are honest about something or you're open about something and it just all comes uh -huh. out. And it is, it's, it's exactly yeah. like you say, the communication thing was so important. And, you know, all these honesty things that the daughter may not have been able to say while she was still alive, all the things that her mother should have said when she was still alive that she didn't get a chance to. Yeah, now, you know, now that you've mentioned that, it does make a lot of sense why that scene had to be this kind of verbal vomit between them, this complete, the first time that they had been completely open and honest with one another. Mm -hmm. even though she knew it wasn't her daughter, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and I think I really got the emotion of it as well. Once that kind of clicked with me and 
you know, when she says to her dad, she always loved you and and he finally kind of accepts that and he probably finally finally accepts his part in what happened that I should have I should have done this differently. And you know, there's a lot of things you, you could talk about as well that um what makes us who we are as people, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Because she's got the daughter's memories and so on, how much of the daughter is she? I think that's all there if we want it to be there. But I think for me, it is once it clicked with me that this is about communication and and the way that, you know, the families are so closed off, but they've been able to sort of have another chance at it through this this very strange thing happening. Uh, it really just opened it up to me. And then, and then the ending where they, they kind of walk out and you see that, this invasion has failed really because these creatures, whatever they are, have, have encountered something that they didn't expect within humans. Uh, that was kind of the icing on the cake for me. And I, and I really loved it. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. And it was a very Serling-esque ending. I felt, Mm -hmm. you know, this whole thing of they came here to conquer us, but they were in turn conquered by the capacity to love, which they hadn't anticipated. It mm-hmm. felt like a very original series twist. Well, I mean, if you yeah. want to call it a twist, we, we knew about it quite early on, but yeah. Um, and that for me just made it even more endearing. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, I did really enjoy the end. Okay, well, our stats man is keeping tabs on things. Good old Harold. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, he's not old. Sorry, Harold. <laughs> um, but is doing a fabulous job keeping tabs on these things. So if you had to give it a mark out of 10, Emmy, what would you be doing with that? So I think I'd probably give it a seven. Now, I'm a really kind of a harsh rater of things, though. You know, for something to get a nine or a ten, it has to be pretty bang on perfect. So, Uh yeah, it is a seven, but I did really, really enjoy it. There just was a couple of little bits and pieces in it for me that I think could have been a bit different to to bump it up a bit. But, yeah, a solid seven, I would say. I think after my first watch, I would have probably give it about a seven but once it settled in with me this i don't know man this this really worked for me it's a universal kind of truth you know it's not tackling anything controversial it's it's tackling something that is happening probably in families all over the place uh, in a really unique way Uh, and you know that's the twilight zone so i'm going to go pretty high on this one i'm going to go a nine it would have been a seven, but I'm going to go nine because this one, once I'd sort of unlocked what it meant to me, I really loved it. So Yeah, yeah. I think that one of the things that, the, that they've definitely done really strongly this year is the kind of emotional gut punch. There's been a few mm-hmm. of them in these episodes. And yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, certainly in this part, it was the part where she was calling to her mum, um... I think in the first episode, it was the twist at the end where you see the, what the daughters witnessed and things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they've done that particularly particularly well this year, I would say. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Okay, so uh, let's get on to our second episode then, which is called A Small Town. And it was written by Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Jew and directed by Alonso Alvarez. So... A small town, great little kind of play on words, if you like, because it is a small town and it's about an even smaller town once we get (laughs) into it. Okay, well, let's just get into this one because these two are pretty short. I think these are both like 35 uh, minute long episodes, but uh, 
let's just get into this one. So what are your thoughts on this one? So this one is probably my joint top episode of the season, I would say. I, mm. again, went into it completely blind. I really, I love stories about small towns. You know, it was one of the things nice. the original Twilight Zone did really well. Um, and, you know, I've co- I've always come from like a big city. So this kind of romanticizing the, the small town thing while at the same time showing how ugly it can be is, is a story mm-hmm. I've always really enjoyed. Um, and, and yeah, I just, it was an interesting story. I don't think it wasn't dark. It could have gone dark. You know, it was nice. Mm-hmm. It was pleasant. It was sentimental. And actually some of the sentimental episodes are my favorites. Um, right. So I thought it was written very strong and the acting and it was, was excellent. I only know, is it Damon Wayans Jr.? I only know him from comedy stuff. So to see him in this was quite a shock, actually. I don't think I've ever seen him in a more serious role. Um, uh-huh. And then David Crumholtz, who plays Conway. I've only I've never seen him in anything where he's been a bad guy either. So both of those were quite against, you know, my experience of seeing those characters. So yeah, it was yeah. it was a I thought it was a particularly strong episode with a nice message at the end. It was interesting that both of these um, episodes back to back had quite positive ends. You know, some of the ones in the season obviously didn't, but these ones were they were a nice watch. It kind of left you with quite a nice, positive, warm feeling, I would say. Yeah, and that's good. It's, I'm glad they've added more of that into the mix. You know, it certainly made covering it a bit more enjoyable this year as well. Um, just to kind of give basics on the story, it is about this small town. Unfortunately, uh, Jason Grant, his wife was the mayor. She died, and the I think he was like treasurer or something. John Conway becomes the mayor. But he's not a very good mayor. You get the impression he's pretty corrupt, He's driving around in a big flash car uh, while everyone else is stumbling in potholes, towns full of junk, all these kind of things. So I'm like you. I do have a love for small town America. When I lived in New York a few years ago, I lived in a small town in New York and I just love the whole aspect of it. You know, it's probably some of the happiest times of my life, if you like, uh, were spent in New York, living in that town. So I always enjoy stories set in small towns too. But you're right, things aren't going well here. And the mayor is only mayor by default, really. So what happens is Jason, he's clearing some junk out of the, he lives above the church, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's in the kind of church attic area. That's right. And I mean, I would live there. It was a really cool room. No, it was very cool. It was very, um, the lighting was beautiful in that room. So So he he finds this model of the town and he he quickly finds out that when he interacts with it, what he does happens in the town. I really have to give the writers top marks for how quickly they introduce this and how sort of gracefully they bring it in mm-hmm. he he gets like a water bottle and sprinkles it on the big round window on the, the model church and it starts to rain outside so he immediately kind of gets onto it but in a very natural way so they've really just introduced the concept so quickly and so naturally uh, that I, I have to give him top marks for that yeah i absolutely agree it was one of the big standout moments for me in the episode was how 
beautifully that was handled just how organically it seemed to happen you know everything flowed very well there wasn't this kind of forced out of the blue situation that that made him think oh I wonder if you know this has a connection to our actual town you know it was very very smooth and it was it was Mm -hmm. a lovely it made me smile it really made me smile so what happens is Jason once he figures this out and people are complaining about certain things in town he is able to fix these things by fixing them on the model. So if it's a pile of junk, he can move it. If it's a big, ugly tree, he can move it. Uh, if the Busy Bee Cafe or diner needs to be painted, he can paint it. So the town is starting to look better, starting to look pretty good. And I just, you know what? I just have such fun with this episode. It's just such a great little concept. And just seeing him do his thing for this first section of it just kind of makes me happy you know yeah it's it's like it's very much speaks to he's needed meaning all this time and he's needed direction and this Mm. one little i mean he doesn't even seem to be questioning it that much you know he's just like oh okay well this is happening and i'm gonna go with it and um it was it's it's this lovely idea of him just totally rolling with it you know using it for positive things he's obviously a very lovely guy despite what's happened you know he's not hardened um Uh and i love that aspect of it you know it really could again it could have gone dark and it really didn't again nicely executed aspect of the story in that everyone thinks well it must be the mayor doing it because who else is going to do it you know and he knows that the mayor's not a particularly good guy and uh, so he's kind of at the back of the room every time the mayor's getting praised for it in the church or whatever. And the ta- the townspeople think the mayor is the helper. Nice kind of use of this device. And this is where I think it's really starting to tell us about what the episode is about and and how that develops as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, it, it kind of gives you the idea of this sort of small town corrupt politician thing very early on. I mean, at no point does he say, yes, this is me. You know, he's not lying to the townspeople. He's doing the absolutely typical politician thing of letting them think what they want to think because it happens to be benefiting him at that time. Um, So, yeah, it does. It kind of smoothly goes into the story from there. And what Jason decides to do is that when this happens, he, you know, he loses temper at one point and drops a little rock on his car, which turns into this massive comet. (laughs) Uh, that lands on his car but but this just has the same kind of effect it was supposed to be a bad thing but then the mayor spins it round i'm not gonna let it beat me i'm the helper you know i love that scene in fact that although it was an odd scene it was probably my favorite one in the whole episode because it said so much about the mayor's character that he he saw that this horrible thing had happened. He was totally losing his temper. His true self was coming out. And all it took was for him to turn around, see that he was getting the side eye um, from the mm-hmm. townspeople and think, oh God, I'm losing them. I'm losing my audience. And then to just completely flip a switch and uh-huh. do, again, that typical politician thing of making it work for him. You know, it was yeah. all chat, no action. And that that scene alone just said so much about his, his character, I felt. I think one of the genius things about this episode is that 
at this point, you're really starting to get what it's about, you know, and we'll come to that in a minute. But it's also just, I, I just have such fun with the concept. And again, it's probably one of those things you, you put yourself in Jason's shoes. What would you do in his shoes? But the, the fact that whatever he does now is sort of turning in the other direction. But I still kind of like to see him do the things like when he puts the spider in and all those kind of things. Um, it's just such a fun episode in that way. It was. And you could tell that the writers and things were having fun with it. I thought that the, the spider scene in particular, where he's kind of walking down the street, again, that was quite original series I thought you know it's definitely something that I could have seen being done with some terrible CGI in the second series and this kind of big tarantula and things like that and it and uh -huh. it did and again what it kind of served to reinforce I guess is that Jason's he's not a bad guy you know it's it's kind of showing you his power what he could be doing and what he is uh -huh. choosing not to do and it really it does say a lot about him that he could be doing whatever he wants. He could be hurting this guy. He could easily get rid of him. Easily get rid of him. And nobody would even bat an eyelid in terms of, you know, what had happened. He could make it look completely innocent. But he's not. And how much that actually says about him as a person that he is toying with him because, frankly, he deserves to get his fun off the back of this guy. But he's not a harmful person, you know. He's not been broken by what happened to his wife. Um, and I think, yeah, that's that spoke a lot about him. And I think it speaks to all our, our frustrations that we have, you know, with the people in power. And I'm not going to get political on this, but, you know, universally, we all have our frustrations. There's, there's all, always that thing in town that needs to be fixed. Why doesn't anyone ever do anything about it? You know, and they talk and they talk, but nothing ever changes. But then to have the power to do something with it, but for it, for it all to backfire, I think it speaks a lot about how you should go about these things. And I guess we'll come to that uh, when we sum up as well. But the thing I was going to mention, we see um, the Bemis Bank, the Henry Bemis Bank. <laughs> I missed that one in the first time around. <laughs> Can't really rationalise that in the same way as Dingle because <laughs> Henry Bemis like, was the only guy left at the end of that episode. So, um, well, you know, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Another dimension, I guess. Maybe he rebuilt the whole world. <laughs> you never know. And all he got was a bank <laughs> named after him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's get to the end of it then. I mean, there's, there's aspects of things like Maple Street here, you know, the, the anger of the townspeople towards the mayor, and then Jason eventually owns up and says that he was the helper. And then when they go up to see the model in the room, the mayor comes in and, you know, he's learned nothing. He's like, right, well, now we can make it like Vegas, you know. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the model falls and th this causes sort of a lot of damage in the town. So they're kind of in a worse state than they were at the beginning. Let's just kind of talk the end out a bit. What What are your thoughts about the end and Emmy? So I didn't, I thought it was a little bit predictable, you know, because obviously it wasn't going to be able to continue in that vein forever. So something had to happen to kind of, break the spell somewhat mm -hmm. but again it was it was a nice positive ending I would like to think the mayor learned something I know what you're saying you know he went up and he saw the town and things like that but I would like to think that given the second chance that he's had he mm. has maybe learned something I would you know hope it would be a bit more positive than that 
Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, yes, you know, the, the bit where he puts the ring down and it is, it's kind of this thing about everything he learned from his marriage to what was reportedly a, a wonderful woman kind of is sealed within this gesture of giving that up, you know, and it also, mm-hmm. I guess, was kind of um, a little bit of closure, maybe. I don't know if that's because it's only been a year. I don't know that you would necessarily have closure after your your husband or wife after that long but it did kind of seem like that was his way of saying right this these these 12 months of all-consuming grief are are finished and that I'm going to move on you know you might be right about the mayor because a, a couple of friends online and stuff in discussions about this have said it's interesting that the mayor doesn't seem to get a he doesn't get a, a twilight zone comeuppance if you like mm-hmm. it, it's almost like and at one point the pastor um says to Jason, you know, none of us is beyond redemption. And I think the mayor is this corrupt, greedy figure. And his time is over, I think, at the end of this. But what do you do at the end of that? Do you do you try and heal? Do you try and build some bridges? You know, and maybe that's what it's trying to say, that even in the tumultuous times that have happened, you've then got to get to a point where you're kind of like, okay, well, what's happened has happened. We need to figure out a way forward with this. But I mean, throughout the episode, what it kind of said to me and what I liked about it is that, you know, Jason's doing all this good stuff to the town and he was right to do all that good stuff to the town, but he shouldn't have had to be the one to do it. And then when he kind of changes tack and, and tries to, you know, sabotage the mayor in in various ways. I think what it says to me is that if you are fighting someone like this mayor, then you you need to be better than them because stooping to their level, it just gives them something to kind of riff on. Look what they've done, you know? And that's what the mayor was like. His car was demolished. Look, this has happened to me, but I'm going to work through it. Mm -hmm. So it just gives a figure like him ammunition to to fire back at you so if you if you're gonna if you're gonna fight him you need to be better than him um you know in the end yes the town is in a worse state but i think what they've learned is that they now need to do what they should have done in the first place come together as a community and fix these things and if the community sees that they're the ones having to do it then come election day that guy's going to be out of there anyway, you know? So it was a really strong kind of community episode for me. And I love to hear different people's thoughts about it. This was a really strong one for me. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, it could have, it could have ended with, you know, lessons being learned from the Twilight Zone for the mayor. But, you know, we we all know as well that the Twilight Zone is not beyond redemption as well. You know, that they will, it will mm. offer redemption, you know, if it can see something. And yeah, I, I think that the idea of the community coming together and realizing that everybody has to take part in making it a better place is a realization uh-huh. that they probably wouldn't have come to because it, you're right. And everybody just moans about these things, all these little things like the potholes and everybody just complains about them. And actually very rarely does anybody do anything about it. And that's uh-huh. because people have just learned that they just think, oh, I can't do anything. I can't contribute. Whereas the end of this shows that actually if they do want things to get better, continually, genuinely better, 
then they are all going to have to come together and contribute. And I must say, much as I think that this new show should push the boundaries of the Twilight Zone a little bit, try different things, not just do retreads, not remakes, um, but just not say, oh, here's our episode like Walking Distance. Mm -hmm. Here's our episode on this. I think this is the most Twilight Zone episode of, of all of the new series for me. And while I'm happy for it to do different things, it's always nice for it to come back and use a very Twilight Zone shape to a story. And I think this one succeeds in that probably more than any other episode that I've seen. Yeah, I agree. And I think that as well, it was a nice character-driven story, which we all know that mm -hmm. was done very well in the original series. And we do, we need to kind of have a peppering of positive episodes in amongst all the kind of slightly darker ones. Um, mm. And I suppose, you know, one of the things I, I, I didn't love about the first season of, of the new Twilight Zone was there were some overtly political messages in the first season. Now, I'm not saying that that was a bad thing and, you know, it definitely was present in the original series, but I, I don't, I didn't feel it was quite as constant as, as, as mm -hmm. season one of this one now. And I think that that's what made the lessons in those overt episodes much stronger, was that it wasn't this mm -hmm. continual firing of you know, this obvious political message, this obvious... Pl and I think that they've really achieved that this year as well by including some of these shorter, nice character-driven stories with a positive ending. And I think that that actually strengthens the other episodes that have maybe more mm -hmm. of a political direction rather yes. than continually hammering it. So, yeah, I, I agree that this episode is a very original series feeling episode, but also... Mm -hmm. I think it helps to strengthen some of the other ones, some of them, the more sort of um, the darker episodes too, that have a lot to say. Okay, then, Emmy, what's what's your scores on this one? That was a nine. That was definitely a nine. Wow. I, I know. I told. I really <laughs> rarely give out a ten, but I really, I did really, really enjoy it. Like I said, it was top, definitely high top tier for me. It was my joint favorite episode of the season, and and, and yeah, in a lot of ways, I hadn't really. Until we started chatting about it, I hadn't realised maybe how much of that enjoyment came from it really feeling like an original episode. You know, there were definitely mm -hmm. little scenes here and there in it that made me think that it's definitely something that Rod Serling could have written. But yes, looking at it as a whole, some of the concepts in it, some of the themes, the fact that it ended with a bit of redemption. Yeah, it definitely did harken back to the original series. I'm going to give this my first 10. I'm just completely happy with it, you know. It has a good, strong message to it, but it's just such fun as well. And it, it straddles the line between being serious and fun so well that I, I just can't really fault anything about it. So I'm going to go full marks on this one. Excellent. I really love this one. It might be my favorite of the series. It might tie with something, but we'll see. We'll We'll get to that. But just out of curiosity, because obviously this is the the only episode you're doing in this season. What's what's it tying with for your favourites? It's a very different episode. It's tying with Among the Untrodden, which mm. I don't think it's a terribly um, popular view that it that I a common view that it's a really good episode. But there was a lot in that particular episode that spoke to me. Um, I completely hold my hand up and say it's possibly because I 
related to a lot of it. Not that I have magical uh-huh. powers of summoning things that, you know, help me out <laughs> when I need them to. But just the whole atmosphere, you know, I went to an all-girls school. I experienced a lot of, you know, the, the dynamics that are going on it. And so yeah. I thought it was it was written really strongly, really relatably to, you know, somebody like myself who's experienced it. I like the kind of slightly creepier, darker ones, the episodes too. And I thought that really mm. fitted in well for me. And I like the twist at the end. And I kind of, it, it took me in a million different directions. You know, like I said, I went into these not knowing what, anything about them, really, apart from the title. And yeah. the, the amount of times in that episode where I felt it was going one direction and then it spun on itself and it went in a completely different way. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I kind of like being kept on my toes and just the whole, you know, you're when when they're down in the is it the basement of the toilet um, uh-huh. and she's saying, you've been with me this whole time. You know, it's all you. It's your powers. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, she's totally right. And then it turns out later <laughs> that, you know, it's not at all. And I'm like, she's right. It couldn't have been her. You know, this whole time I'm kind of rooting for this episode in the direction it's going in. And so... I mean, it's not perfect. It's not perfectly written. There's definitely some flaws in it. I know that some people really didn't like the language, some of the topics discussed, but I don't know, maybe I've just become desensitized to this kind of thing. It didn't, it felt appropriate in it. Uh-huh. Um, didn't feel needless. It kind of all felt like it helped tell the story. So I didn't really have yeah. many criticisms of that episode. Good, good. You know, it's interesting, and this is where perspective comes into it because... Like, I marked that a seven. I was happy with it. I think I might have made the comment it just didn't feel very Twilight Zone throughout it because I obviously never went to an all-girls school. <laughs> <You> um, <laughs> it might surprise you to hear that. So my frame of reference for this kind of thing are movies that I, w- I would just never watch. You know, you you kind of mean girls and, you know, those uh, school-girl kind of dramas and... And that's what I identified it with most, which are just things that I don't watch because they, they don't really float my boat. But then by the end of it, I really came round to it being a Twilight Zone uh, because I recognized it had a great message. And, and when you look at how it laid things out throughout the episode, it was done really well. So it just shows you how perspective can really um, alter based on your life experiences, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's, it is, it's, it's, and it's all to do with, we say, I mean, we try and say we're going to look at things completely objectively, but there mm. are always going to be things that we have a soft spot for because, you know, you do, uh-huh. you relate to them. And, you know, like eight was another one that I, I probably would have ranked it higher than a lot of other people just because I kind of, again, I have a soft spot for that sort of slightly daft alien of the week sci-fi kind of trope thing uh-huh. which it totally fell into so yeah I mean and, and a lot of it is just how I feel when I'm watching it at the time you know it's yeah. you know the other one that I don't really rank as highly as some of the other articles and things I've read is the who of you and okay again I don't know if it just I've, I've only watched it once and I am definitely going to come back to it because I know that it is kind of loved by many fans and it sometimes when that happens when I think an episode is just kind of fine and then I I hear that a lot of people really love it I sort of think to myself what have I missed you know there's got to have been something mm-hmm. in that that I didn't see and I do kind of feel that with with that episode it was it was a brilliant performance you know Ethan Embry's fantastic uh-huh. in it 
but the story just didn't sit terribly well with me and I like a heist you know that aspect of it you know Uh I was I thought I'm going to be all for this when I figured out what direction it was going in but it just it was a very meh episode for me um but a lot of yeah a lot of it's to do with how you feel when you're watching it little bits and pieces you know for some people I would imagine that just the fact that this episode that um that a small town felt very Twilight Zone-esque to them, like very original series, that just will have sealed the deal for them by itself because that's yeah, what they're here for. Yeah, the clincher. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually really struggle with rating these because my rating could totally change. Like I could wake up tomorrow morning and have a completely different opinion <laughs> of these depending on, you know, a new angle I've thought about or... Yeah. So yeah, I do find, I find rating them pretty difficult. It's tough, it's tough. I mean... I mean, look at the first episode we talked about. It started off as a seven for me and then ended up as a nine. So, yeah, even on all our ratings, we're probably thinking about those differently. So, you know, but I guess it's a bit of fun. Yeah. I think that the, one of the big things about this this season in particular is I would happily watch any of these ones again. Quite happily, I'd sit mm. down and watch any of them. Even the ones that I didn't rank as strongly, they're still very well done. Not sure I could have said that about season one. There were some that I watched once or twice and probably would never come back to. But I think it speaks mm-hmm. a lot to the growth of this season, just how rewatchable some of these episodes really are, particularly when you know the twist at the end, but it doesn't deter mm. you from going back and from enjoying it again, but actually only adds to it. Well, Emmy, I always love doing the podcast over in the After Hours Club with you. Um, and, but it's been really nice to get you onto this show and to dig into these two with you. So thank you so much for coming well, Thank on. you for having me. I've absolutely loved it. And this is the point where I usually say, uh, tell us where people can find you, <laughs> but they can find you in the After Hours Club. We've mentioned it about They can. Times, they so. need to look at the Patreon and see some of the cool stuff that you put out. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Good plug. Good plug. So that is our show for tonight, and it's almost the end of our Twilight Zone 2020 coverage, but if you want to get your thoughts onto the show about one or both of the final two episodes, which are Try Try, and you might also like, then send your clips to tom at the twilightzonepodcast.com. Now, if you want to include a general summing up of the season as well, then that's fine. And I won't really put a time limit on it, but obviously if someone sends in like a 20-minute piece of feedback, then I'd probably need to cut that down somehow. But, but I'm not going to be too strict on time limits. Now, our stats man, Harold Clark, has been keeping tabs on the scores throughout the show. But if you also want to include in your final summing up a ranking of the episodes, then please do that too, because because it gives that little bit of extra scope for analysis. For example, throughout this, there have been episodes that have scored the same. I might have given two episodes an 8 out of 10. But which one of them do I like most? Only really a ranking is going to tell us that. So if you want to include that, then please do as well. So get your feedback in for that final episode in the Twilight Zone 2020 coverage by Tuesday the 28th of July at the latest, and uh, then we'll wrap things up. So let's play out with some friends of the show. We've got a straggler starting us off, Jeff. Uh, He's only seen the one episode, but that's fine. If anyone hasn't caught all of it, but just wants to comment on some, 
that's okay too. And then we will go on to some feedback about the episodes that we've discussed tonight. So I'll speak to you next time. Hey Tom, this is Jeff from uh, the US. I'm a big Zone fan since I started watching it when I was about 11 years old. It came on Channel 11 in the New York area at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and I believe my first episode was Walking Distance. Still my absolute favorite. But uh, the reason I'm uh, contacting you today is because I just got done listening to the podcast about Meet in the Middle from the new series. And um, I'm surprised that nobody mentioned uh, an episode from the very first season of the 80s Twilight Zone. Uh, Episode number six, 1985, was called A Message from Charity. And they have done this theme before where people are mentally contacting each other. And this is way before the internet. Like I said, it was broadcast in November of 1985. And um, absolutely one of my favorites of the of the 80s Twilight Zone, which ha- has really kind of gotten a bad rap. I thought the 80s show was pretty good um, compared with the 2002 show, which I'm currently struggling to get through because I forgot how absolutely horrific it is. And I'm really disappointed that Ivan St- uh, Iris Stephen Bear is, is like the head honcho and wrote some of the episodes because he did so well in Deep Space Nine. And this is just, he doesn't really know the Twilight Zone. I don't know. I'm not sure if you're handling that on your other podcasts, but uh, I digress. I, I, I did call to speak about um, Meet in the Middle. And uh, like I said, I'm surprised nobody had mentioned the resemblance to Message from Charity because it was basically uh, the same theme where two people mentally connect, even though uh, the story was very different. Uh, but they, the, the Twilight Zone did do this theme before. So I just thought I'd mention that. Uh, enjoying your podcast a whole lot, Tom. Keep up the good work. Um, I just started listening about a year and a half ago and... Since I've been um, home, um, I'm, a, I'm an Uber Lyft driver, so I haven't been driving since the 19th of March here in the U.S., and uh, looks like I'm going to have to go back to work next week because my unemployment is running out unless they do something better, unless they uh, pick it back up again. Anyway, uh, since I've been home, I've been listening to, like, almost every day I listen to a podcast, and I'm just about caught up. I think I'm about a year out. Um, I'm near the end of the third season, so I'm looking forward to the rest of it. I've only seen the first episode because it was free, um, here in the U.S. Uh, I did subscribe to CBS All Access when, when the show Picard ended. They offered a, uh, three-month trial for free. I guess it was in January, and I took that, and I got to see all of the 2019 episodes. And I was about to cancel it when they were going to charge me for it. And they gave me another three months free. But that ran out right before the 2020 season began for Twilight Zone. So if they do another free um, free trial, I will be able to see the other nine episodes. But they did offer the first one for free. And that's how I got to see Meet in the Middle. Uh I'm starting to ramble now, so I won't waste any more time. But keep up the good work, Tom. It's always a pleasure to listen to you. And I'm not looking forward to that sad day when I get to the last one 
But when you're done uh, the fifth season, I hope uh, I hope you can continue uh, in some way because I really enjoy the show. And you have a great day, and I will be listening to your show henceforth. You take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Hey, Tom and listeners. Zach Moore here with my thoughts on the seventh and eighth episodes of season two. First off, A Human Face. First off, I'll say I really like the performances in this episode. Uh, Christopher Maloney, I'm a big fan of his from Law & Order SVU. Uh, he was on there. He was my favorite character on there for many years, and uh, he left a few years ago. And he's coming back, actually, to the Law & Order universe, for those of you who are <laughs> paying attention to that over on NBC. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing where his character is uh, these few years later. But anyway, great actor. I love this performance here. Jen Elfman, great as well, right? Uh, you feel like these are parents. Like, you buy their loss and their... They're complicated family dynamics. And, and you know, even in the older original Twilight Zone, when they embraced, you know, uncomfortable, awkward, but realistic family dynamics, I think that was a strength. So so that's a strength here. And also, you know, just the concept, right? It's it's, it's two, three characters in a house the whole time, right? So that, that's classic Twilight Zone. But where they went with the story was weird. Um, the alien found the daughter's brainwaves and became her. I thought she was reading her journals and became her that way. Uh... And it's like, yeah, hey, I'm an advanced scout, but you guys are so awesome. I'm not going to invade your planet now. Like, what about the, like, aren't you going to have to report back? You turned it off. I don't know. There's a lot going on there with that. Uh, more on the more on the human side is what I liked about this episode. The whole sci-fi stuff, actually, like, when they, when they explained more and more, I didn't really like it as much. Um, also, a case of maybe when you have too much special effects, that's a, uh, a hindrance to you because... You know, imagine if, you know, they go in the basement first and you see, like, a, a shadowy kind of alien creature or something down there, right? But you don't really get a good look at it, and then the next, and then the next time you, you hear a daughter and then you open a door, it is their daughter, and you don't see it c- turn into what, you know, what is a, a leftover special effects from Star Trek Discovery, this giant tardigrade. Those who know, have watched Star Trek Discovery, you know what I'm talking about. This tardigrade kind of just morph into their daughter before their eyes, right? I mean, uh, the, the, the mom is, like, seems... For half the episode, she's like, oh, it's our daughter. And the dad's like, no, that's not our daughter. We, we saw an alien turn into her, right? So uh, th- that was a little much. Um, but but no, I, I like the dynamics. And oh, by the way, I, Twilight Zone Easter eggs. We're starting to, we're starting to catch up on some. Uh, we see the, uh, the clown from Five Characters in Search of an Exit. He, that, that action figure or doll <laughs> or character is in the, uh, her, uh, the, the daughter's private bin uh, when they go through it upstairs. And... Also, we see uh, an invader is on her uh, her dresser. Like you have like some like, jewelry hanging on it. It's a little, little guy from the invaders. And you know, I didn't mention it in eight, but I had to go look it up because because I th- you know they're watching the shark documentary in eight. Just complete aside, right? In the last episode, and I was like, that sounds like Rod Serling. It must be because they keep they keep showing <laughs> this documentary and, and like they're just like pay attention to this. This is Rod Serling. So I looked it up, and apparently he did some voiceover work for like a Jacques Cousteau documentary back in the you know seventies, I guess. And, uh, but, but then I looked at the episode and they credited the guy who did the voice of Rod Serling from, uh, Blurry Man. So I don't know, more investigation, uh, into that. Maybe you guys, maybe another listener or you guys, when you host this episode of the show, will uh, will know and have those answers. But, uh, but anyway, Twilight Zone Connections, again, two episodes before that, uh, cause I missed all these, <laughs> right? Mentioning it is you see the magazine from, uh, the singer's sister from Ovation, uh, in the college, college or the, not a high school boarding school dorm when all the girls are partying. So anyway, 
the, you're starting to see more of those inner universe connectivity items that we didn't see. And of course, the busy bees everywhere, right? That goes without saying. That's <laughs> the nexus point of the Twilight Zone is the busy bee diner uh, by chain, right? <laughs> I guess. But it's the difference between season one and two. Season two, there was always something that tied to something else. It seemed and always some kind of item or object that referenced an original Twilight Zone. And uh, there wasn't so much here, but this episode I had a couple right right up in there. Uh, so anyway, tangent over there. But yeah, those are my thoughts on this one. Yeah, I, I you know had a good message at the end, um, and, and you know I liked when the parents were talking to each other about what did they miss and all all these sorts of things. It's a good stuff there. So so again, I liked the human element, but the sci-fi element and the payoff at the end was was a little disappointing. But no, good, you know. So I still I still count it as a, as a win. Uh, but but uh, uh, not 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 at the top. You know, like like middle, uh, low middle tier of the season, if I had to say. Uh, now moving on to a small town. This was fantastic. This, this is probably my second favorite episode of the whole uh, season. I mean, a, a small town, great title, right? Littleton as well, the name of the town, uh, genius. A small town being a pun on both. It is a small town, and there's a small town that is the the item, the object, the mystical object, and just just great stuff. Cleaning out an attic, finding mystical object, having control over the world like that. This was great. And Damon Wade Jr., right? A great comedian. I love him. I love him in uh, Let's Be Cops, and uh, he's uh, obviously on the the New Girl, and he's he's Damon Wayne's son, hence Damon Wayne Jr., right? So he's got a, a comedy pedigree in his family. But man, he plays it straight here, and he's he does a great job. He's a very uh, sympathetic character, and uh, you feel his frustration when he's doing all this stuff. And the mayor, who he hates because he took the job of his wife when she died, uh, is taking all the credit for it. People are giving it to him. That, that. That frustration is palpable, right? You can totally feel it. But then, you know, he's talking to his pastor, and she's like, hey, doesn't matter where it's coming from, right? Doesn't matter who gets the credit. It matters that it's getting done, right? So that, that you know, kind of helps his mindset a little bit, right, when he's starting to get really frustrated. Uh, so so I love this one. I mean, this was just a, a very creative idea, you know? Uh, I mean, having seeing himself in the church and the and the uh, the way he can put things there and take things out, and, and I, I thought it was great, and I thought maybe – when he got near the end, I was like, is this going on too long? Can we play this out? But then, you know, we have the, re- the the reveal of the the town turning back against the mayor, and then he has to reveal himself, and the, the kid character was, was taking the heat. And I was thinking, oh, man, is this a uh, is this going to be like a, a Monsters Do on Maple Street thing where everybody turns against themselves and turn off their power and stuff? But, you know, it just made you think of that because it's a Twilight Zone. But, no, I, I really like the the message and the story and the beats. You know, this one, like, he, he is all happy and he's fixing things. But then the turn of, like, when the town's like, oh, yeah, it's the mayor, right? Um, the only odd thing to me was the the TV commercial, about, or not TV commercial, the uh, the news bulletin, uh, TV news bulletin about his wife's death at the very beginning. And then it's like, one year later. And I think, title card, right? And then I think they could have cleaned that up a little bit with uh, just some dialogue. Like, ignore that and then just have some more dialogue, expository dialogue about you know the history of, of, of how they got here with him and his wife and and the and her being the mayor and the town and the highway and all that you could have explained that in dialogue without having that odd uh opening because it's like it's almost 10 minutes before we even get the opening credits with you know jordan peele coming in so and again jordan peele he has the he has the umbrella because of the rain so i like how they kind of uh tailor make his his uh intros and outros for each situation so uh and then yeah i didn't i didn't really know where it might have gone i mean it could have gone a lot of ways right i i'm glad he didn't uh kill the mayor with the tarantula like like we we thought he might seeing that Jesus to scare him uh so then I mean, he didn't cross any you know any lines and they make a point to say nobody died during the the fight at the end uh but uh yeah the 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 the, uh, the wedding ring 
being the uh, the salvation of the town, being the largest piece of gold, you know, any in the world. Like that's 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 great. That was a great feel good twist for something that could have been a, a real dark ending there. Uh, so I was like, oh no, they can like burn down the church and burn down the town or something, right? There's so many ways they could have gone with it, but but I really enjoyed it and a lot of heart and, and all the performances. Uh, and even uh, even the mayor character uh, was uh, which is a, a sleazy guy, right? Classic sleazy politician that you love to hate. So anyway, fantastic episode. So so we had one that was kind of you know, low middle, but this one is top tier. Uh, loved it. And so we are, you know, we are. Uh, this is eight episodes in, and. Uh, we are seven for eight, really. Despite my reservations, uh, you know, certain critiques about the about the human face, you know, I, I think these these are all still wins. And the only real miss is eight so far. So we are we are seven for eight uh, as we go, and uh, and we'll talk to you all next time. Hi, this is Shelley Grisco weighing in on episodes eight and nine, a human face and a small town. A human face, I really liked, but it. I found it very disquieting. It's the episode that I've spent the most time pondering over after having watched it several times now. Um, I think the crux of the matter for me is that it's pitting rational fear based on the alien openly admitting that they're there to um, terraform and um, conquer humanity. And... um, but um and openly playing with um emotional triggers in order to pacify the population in in order to do that um and being basically a really really good con man who first easily cons the um wife because she she desperately wants her daughter back and you know in any level even the illusion of having her daughter back is is enough for her um the husband is a much harder sell but eventually she manages to get to him too by um by saying that she loved him and by um you know um claiming that um that the invasion was it was off she wasn't going to um try to complete the mission because she had discovered love and the thing is i i whether or not you trust that um is the crux of whether that is a happy ending as the closing narration seems to indicate or whether it's it's a successful invasion and the humanity has been completely hoodwinked by these aliens that you know found the right fix for for everyone um you know i i don't imagine in each case um all of the aliens used exactly the same con job but everybody is missing something everybody wants to bring back something and i think um so it leaves me in this uneasy place of not knowing um whether whether this is a happy ending or or a horrible ending. (laughs) i mean not horrible a good ending but um you know an apocalyptic ending um and i i really like about this one that it can be applied the dynamic in it can be applied to so many different situations, whether you're thinking about immigration and, you know, actual, you know, human aliens, um, whether their intents are good or, or not good, whether, you know, um, 
whether um, pe some people are being um, hoodwinked by e emotional um, hooks um, or whether um, uh, the other the people who are being too rationalist about it are, are ignoring the heart of the matter and, and the um, pain and suffering these people are going through. And, or it could be, you know, what you're willing to put up with to bring back things that can't be brought back, you know, like um, the past. Um, uh, there's a lot of nostalgia that's being um, leveraged for po political reasons lately. This, you know, make America great again kind of thing. And, and how much are you willing to um, give up? It, you know, in terms of your morals and standards in order to bring back something that, you know, might have been illusory to begin with. Um, so anyway, that one I think was very powerful, but I, I, I can't really get it out of my mind. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a nine, but um, it doesn't sit easy with me. A Small Town was a much more enjoyable um, and heartwarming um, tale. I think it was a really great um, uh fable and again i think it it applies very well to you know a, a lot of different political situations at this time um that you know we're all living through and um anyway i, I found it really nice I, the visuals were beautiful um and I, i'm a sucker for um intricate uh, machines that make cosmic changes <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like kind of a silly thing, but I really, I really love that. So um, anyway, uh, that one was a good one. I'll give that one nine. Um, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Hi, my name is Kasim Gaines. I'm calling in from New Jersey, and I'm calling about the Twilight Zone season two episodes, A Human Face and A Small Town. So... A Human Face is an episode that I really liked, and I just want to say right off the bat, I think the thing that I liked the most about A Human Face is that as soon as I heard and saw the title, I assumed that it was going to be sort of a play on the Eye of the Beholder story from the original series. Um, there's that classic line where the doctor says, it's a good face. It's a human face. And I assumed that we were going to get some sort of remake or reinterpretation of that story, kind of like we had in season one with Nightmare at 30,000 feet. So I appreciated sort of the callback in the title of the episode, but that the episode was a completely different story. I also really thought the performances were very strong in this episode. And you know, even though you can sort of see where the episode is going by the end, I think that it still manages to say something really important about what we are all willing to do to have a do-over. This idea of, you know, you live one life and you can't take anything back. Um, you know, what are we willing to do to take something back, to have another opportunity. And even when we know that we can't really do it, um, that the daughter in the episode is not really their daughter. She's an alien. 
she sort of explicitly says as much. And yet the parents are both willing to suspend their disbelief and proceed with her um, into the unknown. And I thought that was a really sort of interesting thing. Some of the other things that I noticed in that episode, um, and I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but you know, early on in the episode, they sort of seek refuge in what I think is an attic. And there's that big window. It's a circular window there that's beaming light. And to me, it sort of resembles the orb in the downtime episode earlier in the season, which would sort of reinforce this idea of this fake reality living and choosing to live in this reality that doesn't really exist. I thought the episode also did some very interesting things with calling back to the first season, not only visually, or not the first season, the first series, I'm sorry, the classic series, um, not only with some of the visual things like the invader uh, statue or toy that's in the daughter's bedroom, which I thought was sort of reminiscent of there's this alien intruder who is sort of familiar to us, but we don't recognize it initially as being familiar. So I sort of saw a connection there thematically, not just a random Easter egg, like all of the dingle moving boxes, but in the beginning of the episode, I got very strong vibes to both the shelter and the monsters are due on Maple Street, um, particularly with the way we have the sort of beautiful tree-lined street and um, the sound of the meteor, the aliens um, invading overhead. And also there's a reference very early on to something like going to a storm cellar, um, which seems reminiscent of the shelter. So I really liked this episode a lot. Um, it was sort of a simple episode, but I liked that. Some of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes from the classic series are simple episodes. So I would give a human face an eight. Um, the episode, a small town, I didn't like it as much. I thought that the premise really had a lot of promise. Um, it's kind of a, a classic Twilight Zone premise, I thought, but the ending didn't really seem to go anywhere. I didn't really like the idea that um, the person who was doing all the manipulating of the town sort of confessed. Um, I thought where the episode was going was that it was sort of a parable on even people with the best intentions can be seduced by power or become mad with power and vengeance. Um, the episode didn't really go in that direction. And while I get what it was saying by the end about communities coming together and um, it just didn't seem to work for me. It didn't really make it didn't feel like it fit the rest of the tone of the story. And so a small town, I would give a six. Just to go back to the episodes earlier on that I um, didn't call in for, I'm just going to give scores because I think they're being tracked in some way. So meet in the middle, I'd give a seven. Downtime, I'd give a six. The who of you, I'd give an eight. Ovation, I'd give a five. Among the untrodden, a ten. and eight, I would give a two. Thank you so much. Hey there, Tom. Harold Clark reporting in from Butte, Texas, talking about a human face and a small town. 
so with the human face, uh, I only watched this once, but I did go back uh, to review a couple scenes just to refresh my memory about some specific things they said and things like that. Um, so the open narration was uh, was good, great with him sitting on the bed. Uh, it clearly laid out the uh, premise of the episode. Uh, kind of funny that it, it kind of called back to something I mentioned in downtime about why do you choose the uh, the look that you do. Uh, so it's like, oh, okay, hmm, interesting. Uh, the initial transformation scene of the alien was great. Uh, pretty creepy stuff. Um, then we get to the scene of uh, them in the in the bathroom. Uh, Robert seems to be the voice of reason. And uh, Barbara just can't ignore the alien's pleas. Uh, this reminded me a little bit uh, of the howling man. Uh you hear those howls and you just you just tempted, tempted, tempted to go and help out and you just can't resist the call. And it seems like that's what happens here with Barbara. She finally says, nope, no more. I got to open the door. <clears throat> For a minute, I thought this was an anti-parenting episode uh, because of the parents' lack of skills. Uh, Maggie uh, commits suicide by overdose. So I was like, hmm, this is a very interesting direction that they're going with this episode. Then the alien spells out the whole process over the course of three minutes near the end of the episode. I thought, okay, well, we're back to her just saying this is what it is. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm just being straight up with you. You know, I'm a invading force and all this stuff. So, so then Robert says, he realizes, ah, that's it. That the human weakness is love. As soon as he says that, it's like the alien realizes, ah, that's my end for Robert. So the alien finally tells Robert that that Maggie always loved him and that Maggie uh, knew that Robert loved her. Well, for Robert, that's the that's the final howl of the howling man. That's the final temptation given, and Robert finally can't resist anymore. And then the final narration happens. So the alien invasion is stopped. It's conquered by humanity? So that kind of really threw me off. I mean, is the final narration just a big lie, just like the alien was not Maggie, uh, in order to fool us into thinking this was a happy ending? Uh, not sure. I mean, I would have been perfectly happy with them showing everybody walking out of their house, just walking towards a spaceship in the sky, you know? <clears throat> When I did see all those people with, I'm assuming each each group of people had an alien somehow with them. Maybe it was a maybe it was a child, maybe it was a husband, something else like that. Um, <clears throat> I thought, you know what, this would be, this could have been a very interesting uh, retelling of to serve man. You know, in to serve man, the aliens make it known one that they're aliens. But they they come to Earth and they kind of interact with humanity on a country by country level. It's very uh, macro level. You know, we're going to help this country and that country, and that then influences the people to say, "Ah, we'll go with you." Sure. You know, whereas here it would have been interesting to say, "Hey, we're an, we're invading alien force, but we're going to come and we're going to individually um, uh, invade each." family and we're going to find out what's the thing that makes them tick what what is the thing that they lost i guess 
you know, this family lost a daughter, maybe another family lost a job, another family lost a, I don't know, a, an opportunity at fame, who knows, but the alien then somehow transforms into somebody or something and is able to get in, you know, get the claws into that family and just say, here, just come on, let's just board our ship. So, you know, could have been an interesting uh, way to take it. Um, but they took it the way they did, which I'm not sure the angle that they took. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to hear what everybody thinks of, is this a happy ending or a sad ending? And is this the end of humanity? Uh, so I give this episode a 7 out of 10. Uh, solid episode. So a small town. Um, so we, me and my wife watched these episodes. We watched Twilight Zone intermixed with the final season of Dark. And if you haven't seen Dark, oh boy, check it out. Just don't read anything on uh, anything on the internet. Don't look up nothing. Just watch it. So we were going back and forth, back and forth. And uh, when I was getting ready to put the the scores together, uh, I'm, I'm listing all the episodes. And I thought, hmm, a small town. I have no idea what that story was about. Boy, that hmm, that story was utterly forgettable. I guess. No, I had forgotten to watch it. <laughs> So this was actually the last episode I watched of the season. Uh, and actually, probably for me, maybe the best. Uh, I'm giving this a 9 out of 10. Uh, there's multiple reasons why I like this episode uh, very much. Uh, I like that Jason didn't turn into the over-cliched, uh, now I'm the God and what I say goes. Um, instead, he, he hears what the people of Littleton want and works to make a change. Um, uh, the best that he knows how. Uh, sometimes it's a perfect solution, like filling up, filling up a pothole. Uh, other times it's not so much, such as the color choice of the Busy Bee Diner is a little jarring, uh, at least at first. Um, my wife called the next uh, wrinkle in the story that the mayor would get all of the, the praise, all the credit. So for me, that was a refreshing twist. Uh, and it was even better that Jason didn't then turn into a maniacal killer and just simply kill the mayor uh, with a well-placed uh, meteorite. Uh, instead, the meteorite uh, goes to his car. Um, uh, perhaps Jason goes a little bit overboard in terrorizing uh, the mayor with the spider. Um, you know, but again, it, could, it would have been the, the easy choice, the e easy writing choice for have just the spider eat the mayor. Um, then the Twilight Zone Cosmic Justice steps in. Uh, in the final, you know, battle scene, I guess, Jason removes his wedding ring, and I thought, okay, well, this is his, his decoration that, hey, what he's doing or about to do, uh, his wife would not agree with it, so you know what, I'm going to take off my ring and just, you know, here's what's going to happen. Um, only to find out that in doing that, the ring shows up. It's this big hunk of gold in the city, and... You know, that is, you know, the town has been broken and busted up. But hey, here, here is a little bit of, uh, you know, here's something that'll help you uh, get back on the road to recovery. This this big hunk of gold. Now, on the one hand, that would make it seem like, oh, money is going to fix everything. That's just the, the solve of everything. And I guess you can look at it that way. But I mean, I guess I, ch I I choose to look at it as, you know what, maybe this is really the rallying point. The town's going to come together and say, you know what, all these petty squabbles that we are having before, let's get this fixed. It is nice that we got some money to do what we can with it, but we're going to be 
we're going to be judicious with it. We're going to, you know, we're not going to go crazy, you know. So, you know, I mean, it's it, for me, like I said, that, that this seems a little bit more of a of a more wink and nod type of twist that a lot of the old uh, Twilight Zones had. Like, you know, here's here's the cosmic justice and here's just a little bit of help for you to now turn your life around. Um, this also rewards repeat viewings for me because this is an episode that you can go back and you can dive into the character of Jason. You can dive into the character of the mayor, the pastor, you know, the artistic uh, kid who's doing the graffiti stuff and, and his mom. And, and you, can, you can really just dive in and, and just focus on one thing and see what discussion that pops up with. You know, you can talk about race relations. You can talk about you know, motivations. You can talk about, again, materialistic things. You know, is it good that they have the, the, the gold ring at the end or should they have just, just work together without it? You know, there's just a lot of stuff that you can dive in and I think that's why this ranks so high for me. One last quick thing. Um, there's the scene where the pastor comes up and meets with Jason and they're talking about, you know, she's just, just checking on him and he says, you realize that the mayor is not the helper and she says, look, it doesn't, it's not a question of who. Um, and I get that she's saying, look, I don't, it doesn't matter who the helper is. I'm just saying, I'm glad we have a helper. But when you're, when you're dealing with faith, uh, it's all about the who, and the who is God. And that's where we, we fall down. We, we get a little bit too filled in with ourselves, thinking, look, this is all about me. This is me doing this. No, it's not about you. The who is the God, you know, give the glory to God. But that's a whole other tangent. But it, it was just a interesting little little uh, line that they threw in there. Um, but I do appreciate, again, that the pastor's like, hey, man, nobody's above, you know, redemption. You know, give everybody a chance. And I thought, well, that's a refreshing, that's a refreshing uh, look uh, in, this, in this day and age of, of uh, cancer, or not cancer, um, cancel culture or whatever you know so there's just a lot uh to dive into with this episode again it's, it's relatively straightforward has some refreshing non-cliche twists so again i just enjoyed it so nine out of ten for me and now we're down to the last two so i'll talk at you later bye hi tom it's adam I don't have as much to say about these two episodes as I have for the last few weeks, but I still wanted to get a couple thoughts out on A Human Face and A Small Town. Uh, generally, these neither of these were my favorite, neither was my least favorite of this season so far. I generally liked both of them pretty well. Um, I actually liked A Human Face a little bit more than A Small Town, and I suspect that that's going to be somewhat of an unpopular opinion, at least if the IMDb ratings are to be an indication. Uh, Human Face has a pretty low rating um, currently at a 5.5, which is among the lowest of the se uh, this season so far. Um, and I'm actually a little bit surprised. I really did pretty well enjoy it. Uh, I especially enjoyed um, the dynamic between uh, Christopher Maloney and Jen Elfman's characters. Um, they're both, of course, uh, very well-seasoned TV actors, and so um, I thought they wore this role well. And I thought the story was a nice reversal on the typical aliens disguised as humans 
to uh, to take over uh, the world or to um, to create chaos. It's sort of a reversal of uh, the monsters are due on Maple Street in that the aliens came to Earth to conquer the Earth and uh, instead were affected by the love that they felt. So instead of exploiting the hate that humans are capable of, uh, they were changed by the love that humans are capable of. Uh, and I thought that was a really nice and sweet message amidst what typically science fiction is going to do, which is highlight how um, how much hate is shown, and, and understandably and naturally so. Uh, in this case, though, it was actually the love that had converted the alien to feel the effects of the human love. I know there are going to be some problems um, with it, and I know that uh, initially the kind of scary-looking alien may not have been that scary, might not have worked um, for a lot of people. I really don't think that was the point, though. I think the point was it was intended to look like someone who was inhuman so that we as the audience, but also the characters, were able to see that clearly this wasn't their daughter. There was no way to be mistaken that it was their daughter. Uh, they entertained that briefly, and um, it became very apparent that that wasn't the case. I think it worked well, but even more, in the end, I just enjoyed it. And sometimes that's just what works, is an episode that just I can enjoy. A Small Town I also really enjoyed. I mean, it was just kind of fun. It worked less for me. And, you know, look, I don't think it's necessarily that fruitful to try to rewrite an episode to what we think is going to work best. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of different stories to tell, and they chose to tell this story. That said, I do think that it entered a little bit uh, into the ridiculous for me, um, a little bit beyond what I was able to enjoy. That what Damon Wayne's character did of putting objects on the uh, on the model and they were translated into just giant versions of those things. I think it would have worked a little bit better if they translated into similar real-world things. Um, so, for instance, when he threw the pebble and it turned into an asteroid, well, that's something that exists in the real world, as unplausible as it would be for an asteroid to hit uh, the mayor's car. Uh, it would still be explainable. But a gigantic spider, um, that's obviously not explainable in the real world, and it just it started to get into that uh, to that realm where it just didn't really work for me. The ending, too, uh, he admitted to it, and the town destroys the model. Okay, that's fine. It's not exactly the direction I was picturing it going, not exactly the direction I really wanted it to go, but it's fine. And then in the end, it turns out that his giant gold ring is what's going to rescue this town. I don't know. It felt like it was all set up for a punchline. Uh, also, the news reporter saying this is the largest continuous piece of gold. <laughs> gold can be whatever you make it into. It's not like a diamond, a giant diamond. You know, that's something that you can't add to. Gold, you could make the largest continuous piece of gold just by melting it and forming it. That that was silly to me. Uh, he could have placed a very tiny diamond that turned into a gigantic diamond, and that would have had the same effect and would have actually meant something. Um, a giant piece of gold doesn't really mean anything. Just calculate the amount of gold. Anyway, nitpicky, but it just it felt like a punchline that just didn't land for me. Um, so in the end, really enjoyed it. 
I always like Damon Wayans Jr. when he's on screen, so that worked great. Uh, I I didn't have any major problems with it. It just it just wasn't a stellar episode to me. So a human face, I would rate at a seven. Uh, a small town, let's give it a six. It's not because I didn't enjoy it. Uh, similar to how I rated eight last week, um, I liked it well enough. It had its problems, but I still liked it. Um, so overall, maybe not two episodes that just knocked it out of the park, but two very fun episodes. Glad they're part of the season, and I don't have any major problems with it. Well, I know we're in the home stretch, so I'm really excited about um, talking about the next uh, couple episodes. Um, but once again, Tom, thanks for all that you do. Hi, Tom. Chad here with a few thoughts on a human face and a small town. So the open door of the home in the first shots uh, of the beginning of a human face reminded me a lot of the ending of Howling Man, where the malevolent force is locked behind a closed closet door. Opening the door lets out the evil, but here in the beginning of a human face, the wide open door lets it in. But the question the episode poses is this, is it evil? A friend once told me that people do not believe what they see, they see what they believe. The father in this episode saw an invader and the mother slowly started to see her deceased daughter. In the story, it eventually tells us that invaders, if we accept them and understand them, are not actually invaders, are not actually a threat. Uh, because the community all peacefully, tranquilly, almost as if under some anesthesia, end up walking into the streets holding hands uh, with the either guests or invaders who are friendly aliens who we will assume have taken the form of departed loved ones for everybody in the community, just as they did with the family that we followed through the episode. So the episode seems to be saying that our relationships with others are in part based on how we understand and perceive them, either as invaders or as guests. Uh, do we see a human face? I thought that this episode, uh, or I saw this episode and thought of it against the backdrop of the standoff on July 4th at Mount Rushmore between indigenous people and a group of mostly white Americans who were there to celebrate uh American independence with President Trump, I came to the conclusion that in this time where asylum seekers are being heavily persecuted, children are being caged, and racist rhetoric against uh, immigration uh, and against asylum seekers is running rampant, that we often see monsters instead of human faces because we, as people who were once treated as guests, became invaders and behaved as monsters. Uh, the genocide of the, uh, the indigenous people is well documented. Uh, their exploitation continues on to this day. And so the episode seems to say that it doesn't have to be that way. But I couldn't help but think that the indigenous people who welcomed Europeans as guests and who saw human faces suffered terrible consequences for that trust. So this episode uh, gives me a lot to think about, and uh, I think there's plenty there to think about if anybody wants to think about it. But 
as with a lot of episodes in this season, you don't have to think about it if you don't want to. They sort of give you a lot of room um, to interpret the episode. Uh, it, it, it's a little less message heavy if you want to go that way. Uh, so maybe it's kind of what we bring to it. Uh, so for our friend Harold, I would rate this episode as a solid eight. And next up, we have episode eight, which is not called episode eight, but it's episode eight and it's called Small Town. I thought this was the best show title yet. It was really brilliant. Uh, it's a perfect Twilight Zone wordplay because a small town is set in a small town. The model itself is a small town. And small town itself is an homage to classic episodes like Walking Distance and A Stop at Willoughby. This one seemed to have what a lot of other episodes in the reboot were missing, and that's a real humanistic, uh, a real heart. It's almost like a one for the angels type of show. I love the construct of the small town being the magic force, and this is not only perfect Twilight Zone material, but to my knowledge, it's one that's really original. I don't think I've ever seen one like this before or seen that, uh, that device before. So I, uh, a lot of points for originality for me, unless I'm wrong and they're uh, taking this from an old episode that I'm unaware of. I thought that possibly the deceased councilwoman might have been working through the model itself, but that didn't seem to be the case. Um, also, more points for the giant spider. That's the first daikaiju and the second kaiju of the season, so major points there for me. And the lesson overall in this one seemed to come down to when the town preacher, she said of the the show's villain, which is the council person, um, no one is beyond redemption. And I thought that no one is beyond redemption was the, the kind of message they were giving. The other message they were giving is make sure you invest in real gold jewelry. And um, my last thought is it's a good thing nobody sneezed on that model. So I thought this was a really unique episode and I uh, thought it was really solid. And for Harold, I think this one is a solid nine. And we've got two left. So far, so good for this season. Hey, what's up, Tom? This is Uncommon NASA recording for episodes seven and eight of the second season of the Twilight Zone 2019 edition in 2020. I'm finally relieved. Um, I'm excited. Uh, I, I finally saw two episodes back to back that I thought were, were really good. I've been I've been pretty critical in previous weeks, um, you know, and I think when now that I, I see two episodes that I think really worked for like the right reasons for like Twilight Zone reasons, I feel even more justified in, in what I said about some of the earlier episodes. I think whoever laid out the order <laughs> definitely saved some of the best for last in the last at least in the second half, I think is where most of the good episodes happen. Uh, full disclosure, I've I've watched all 10 at this point, uh, so we'll get into more of that next week. But yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't even have a whole lot to say, just that they were good because I, I don't, there's, you know, it's like a totally different audio feedback. I don't, I don't have to like break down all these things because these were just really good episodes. And um, A Human Face, you know, I mean, I think A Human Face reminds me of what I've been saying that I wish they had done in season two, which was maybe recycled some of the same actors in different roles from season one to give them a kind of a second shot because 
Uh, an actor like uh, Chris Maloney, you know, I mean, he's such a chameleon. Uh, he was so great in, in Oz back in the day. And he was terrific in this show called Underground, which not enough people saw because it was on WGN, which is a pretty fringy channel nationally in the U.S. But brilliant, brilliant work. Uh, if anyone has not seen Underground, especially now with everything that's going on, I would definitely seek out Underground and, and watch it. It was only two seasons, but they were the arcs of those two seasons it felt like it was on the air for 10 years so it was it was great but chris maloney was a part of that and he's been in some great films anyway i don't have to tell you who chris maloney is but like my my example of him is just like that guy could do anything you know he could play any kind of character and he was perfect as sort of like you know the angry suburban dad you know i kind of it kind of reminded me of like telly savalas even though he wasn't a stepfather you know, where he was just so stiff that it was it was borderline ridiculous, but at the same time, it was it was stiff enough to remind you of of some sort of person that maybe you've met. You know, there there are jerks in this world that that mean well, but that come across the wrong way. And uh, I think he played that perfectly. I thought Jenna Elfman was also great as the mother, and I think the overall message of the episode, you know, it it actually said something. It it had a point. I know what you're trying to tell me. There's no mystery. There is suspense, but there's not mystery. It was just a, a real show that gave you this sort of um, explanation of how love can co-opt people and that it can love can bring you to the other side, maybe of an invasion, of, a, of an argument. And then if you use love to do that and if you give in to that and you don't just continue to suspect 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 maybe your invasion or your progression or your advancement with new and other people can be reciprocal as love i think you know when you watch the end with all those families going out into the street with their own stories that that captivated them you can sort of envision like instead of an alien invasion it had to be harsh it was like this peaceful coexistence that took place because they knew how to approach us and we responded without malice toward that so what's more twilight zone than that um that is what i've been looking for and they continue to give it the next couple episodes is to follow up on season one it's like i i spoke and they responded because i said a few weeks ago, like I just wish that they would continue to talk about social and civil issues and relevant issues to the time, but maybe do it in a quieter way so that you can get some more nuance. And that's exactly what happened in this episode. It was it was perfect along those lines. Um, the next episode was a small town, which actually was even better. I was really blown away by this episode. I thought it was great. You know, everybody's seen sort of the mini town thing before. You know, you've got like um, the miniature. Uh, you've got, um, I don't remember the name of it because it's not my favorite episode of the original, but the one with the two guys on the planet and the guy creates a little micro world. Um, but this is just great. You know, the way it looked, a little diorama, a little Christmas village kind of thing. Um, and then it affects the people and the message is so relevant right now. Uh, unfortunately, in the United States, where you have leaders who think the best way to lead is to isolate and to do as little as possible, and that 
they take no responsibility. But when citizens step up and do something to fix their surroundings, they're the first one there to line up and take credit for it. Uh, as if it just happened by the kismet of their leadership without actually taking actions. And on the other side of the coin, it talks about how if you're always the first one to run into that building and you're always the first one to try to fix things and to take action, you sometimes you get burned. Sometimes the system hurts you and it, and it, ref, it reviles you. And what an amazing analogy for the United States and the politics that are happening here right now, and I'm sure in lots of other countries. It, it, it was perfect. And the best thing about that episode is it was just like the original Twilight Zone, where like you could watch that episode and not get anything of what I'm saying and not even think about that. It was there. To me, it was clear that that's the message they were sending. But you could watch that episode politically blind and not understand that and still get lots of enjoyment and still get some of that lesson and some of that into your subconscious. And that's what the original did. Now, the argument against season one is that that's what they did all the time on the original. Why didn't this? Well, the original had to do that. It was by force because that's the only way that you could really discuss those sorts of topics was to mask them. And I think what's interesting is that maybe what this Twilight Zone generation learned is that even though you don't have to mask those things anymore, you will still get a reaction from the public, from certain sectors of the public that make it feel like you need to mask it. And I think these two episodes, in particular, A Small Town, um, and to peek ahead, in particular, episode nine and Try Try, they were able to hide these things, not because they had to hide them from censors or sponsors, but because they had to hide them from the public, which is sort of a scary prospect, but also like an important lesson in how to do good science fiction. So, you know, quick ratings, uh, human race, I would give a strong eight and uh, a small town, I would give a, a strong solid nine. So we're moving in the right direction and uh, I'm excited and I'm reinvigorated for what, for what they're doing. This is, this, these were really good episodes.